Today is July the 22nd, which for many of you might just be another day, but for me it's uh, 18 years married to my beautiful bride, for which I am grateful. Yeah. Give her a hand. That's, she gets all the credit. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. You didn't come here to hear about my 18th anniversary, but I don't know how it's 18 years, and I just woke up this morning thinking, we're just getting started, we're just warming up, so hope you feel that way about your bride, your spouse, if, if God has given you life and health, and your bride or your husband is here with you, I mean, it's just, it's just awesome that God allows us to put on display the gospel through the, the blessing of marriage, you know, um, to be united as one flesh, and to be a picture of what Jesus does when He adopts us into our, our into God's family, and He, we have a radical union with Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that is inseparable. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but this morning, uh, we're continuing in Mark's Gospel, chapter nine, beginning in verse thirty-eight. We're in the the middle of a section of verses that began back in verse thirty-three, and will continue down to verse fifty. And in pre- preparing for this sermon, and really the last three sermons, I was debating whether to preach this to you as one sermon or as three sermons. Um, I could have done it as one in about 55 minutes, and then I figured y'all would throw me out for being preaching too long. So we, we subdivided it in, into three messages on this question of, of greatness. How is it that the disciple of Christ pursues the way of greatness, and we've talked about the way of greatness is actually the way of the cross, that the disciples are following Jesus on the way to the cross, and last week the disciples asked about who's going to be the greatest, and and we covered that down through verse 37, but then in verse 38 we find that the disciples still haven't really gotten it, because they're still asking questions and making assumptions that demonstrate that it's really still more about them than it is about the Jesus they are following. And so, if I could title this morning's message, or subtitle it, it's The Road to Greatness Part 2, or The Road to Greatness, It's All About Jesus. The Road to Greatness, It's All About Jesus. Would you read with me in God's Word from verse 38 and following in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Would you bow with me? God, help us in the moments to come to really internalize and then to live out what you're speaking to us in these verses of Scripture. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So in verse 18 of chapter 9, you remember if you've, if you've been walking through the series with us in chapter 9, of, in verse 18 of chapter 9, Jesus' disciples can't cast out a demon. You remember that? It's just a few stories ago. Jesus' disciples can't cast out a demon. Now Jesus and the disciples are back on their home turf. They're they're back in Capernaum, we learn in verse 33, which is where Jesus' ministry and home base was. 
So they're, they're back where they have home court advantage, back where they know the landscape, they know what to expect. And they actually are expecting to be the people that God's going to use to get the job done. And so they get back home and there's somebody else getting the job done in Jesus' name. Interestingly enough, he's getting done what they couldn't do. They couldn't cast out the one demon from the one boy, and now they encounter a man who's in, in casting out multiple demons. And what do they do in verse 38? They try to stop him. They tell Jesus, we, we try to stop him. And the reason they try to stop him is because he was not following us. Now, you might think, well, that's not so bad, because really what they mean is the disciples plus Jesus, but that's not what they mean, right? Because otherwise, John wouldn't have had to go to Jesus and explain what they were doing, the problem. Well, there's somebody out there casting demons out, demons out Jesus. We've got, we got a problem on our hands. As, as Danny Aiken summarizes this scenario, here's a nobody exalting somebody, while the somebodies are worried about who is following a bunch of nobodies. Here's the, here's the attitude of the disciples. If I could put it in 2018 language. Jesus, we know that you've called us to be with you in chapter 3 and to die to ourselves and follow you in chapter 8, but we stopped this guy from getting things done in your name because he was not following us. You see, the disciples still don't get it. Jesus just told them, it's not about you, it's about me. And then John and the disciples prevent someone from casting out demons in Jesus' name. They, they don't see, church, that our participation with Christ in the extension of His kingdom is a gift to us. It's a gift to the church. And it should compel us toward a disposition of gratitude that we even get to be included at all in what God is doing. That we get to even participate is amazing. We shouldn't be complaining. Oh, well, the pastor asked us to come pray on Wednesday night. I, that's an awful lot to ask on a Wednesday night at 6.30. I got plans. Well, I understand you might have plans, but get involved somewhere in the expansion and the extension of the kingdom of God. It's not a burden. It's a great blessing for God to have asked us or to have invited us to involve us in what He's doing in the world. It's not about what we bring to the table, church. It is that Jesus ever even brought us to the table in the first place. But by this time, the disciples have shared a lot of experiences together, haven't they? They've survived a couple of supernatural storms at sea. They've gone on a successful mission trip in Israel territory together. And what happens after you spend time together as a team and go through some common experiences? It creates an identity and a history, and a culture that fuels success for a while. But unfortunately, we so often take these good things, our history, our tradition, the people that we were with way back when, and we allow those things to replace the best thing. And the best thing is not who we once were, or who we are even today. The best thing is Jesus, and what He's doing in the world right now and tomorrow. And that is always changing. Time moves on. Trends shift. Athletes age. Great coaches become average coaches because everyone suddenly figures out their play-calling tendencies. And suddenly, blockbuster video goes from being a staple of American culture to a business that my children have never even heard of. You say, what does that have to do with the church? It has everything to do with the church. Church blockbuster was in the video entertainment business do you remember 
I remember dating my bride before we ever got married. Man, what, what are we going to watch tonight? We go to Blockbuster and we browse. Is it going to be drama or action? And we browse and we enjoyed that experience of browsing and sometimes arguing about whether it was going to be a chick flick or Braveheart. But in that process, somewhere, Blockbuster ignored the internet. And they ignored streaming. And by the time that they took Netflix seriously, it was far too late. By the time they took Amazon seriously, it was far too late. And there's a lot of churches in the world today that are still arguing about what they did in 1975 to reach people when the world is moving forward and there's a whole lot of change happening in our society and our culture and we are ignoring what's happening around us talking about yesterday while Jesus wants to reach the world that's out there today. There's a lot of churches in the world that are ready to reach 1975, but 1975 has passed us by, church. we got to reach people living in 2018 if we're going to make disciples in 2018. And the danger is that we would be like the disciples, that we would take the gift of knowing and belonging to Christ and turning it into something that's more about us and our past and our past experiences than it is about Him and what He's doing right now. Do we want to be a church that's on mission today? Do we want to make disciples in 2018? In these verses, Jesus is teaching His disciples there is someone who is infinitely more powerful and more compelling and more important than even the shared experiences of the current players on the existing team. The work of God in Jesus' name, it's not going to stop just with the 12 disciples. It's not just going to stop with the men and women gathered in this room this morning. His kingdom is going to extend to the ends of the earth and He will include people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language and He will use all kinds of people in the process. Is this on this morning? Are you all here? Okay. What does that mean? It means that the team that Jesus is building is always growing. It's always adapting. It's always changing. The only things that don't change are Jesus Christ and His Word. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in all other matters, we've got to resist the temptation to prize who we have been or who we currently are more than we prize the living Lord Jesus Christ and the advance of His kingdom right now and forevermore. Jesus is showing us, church, that greatness comes when we are motivated and compelled by the greatness of Christ and the inbreaking of God's kingdom above all other things. So, to be great in the kingdom of God, very briefly this morning, we see three things that we must do. First, we must let the name of Christ motivate us. We must let the name of Christ motivate us. Secondly, we must let a passion for the name of Christ unite us. And thirdly, we must believe that God rewards acts of service that are motivated by our new identity in Christ. First, we must let the name of Christ motivate us. What's your motivation for living? What's your motivation for what you do, for who you know, for where you go? In verse 39, Jesus commands the disciples to stop trying to stop the man casting out demons. You say, that's a little bit funny. There's a little bit of irony there. A man is trying to stop a man from doing the work of God. Jesus commands them, stop stopping him. I mean, I always have to tell my kids to stop doing things. But Jesus is telling them to stop stopping him. Let, let him do it. 
And the first reason that Jesus gives to His disciples is the core reason of the message. It's not about getting people to follow us. Verse 38. It is all about the name and the fame and the reputation of Jesus. Verse 39. What does Jesus say? Who cares if they're not following you? If they're declaring my name, then no one will soon speak evil of me. It's about how people will regard Jesus, how they will speak of Jesus. And here's a, here's a key point to keep in mind as we talk about this. This is not a command to let people doing evil things get away with attaching Jesus' name to their wicked ways. So we've got to be careful. Sometimes we just dive into the Bible and see, well, they said Jesus, so we're all on the same team. But it's like... Do you remember Westboro Baptist Church? That church that shows up at, I don't know, uh, rallies in our country, and then they do crazy things. They make crazy signs like, God hates you, and uh, we hate you too. And, and they put Jesus' name on it. And, and by the way, they say they're a Baptist church, and it drives me crazy because it makes all Baptists look bad. So Jesus is not saying, when people do wicked things in my name, to embrace or endorse that. But in this case... The man is really casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Edwards puts it this way. The unnamed exorcist was not a stranger to the gospel, but he was acting in Jesus' name. Which means to act in Jesus' power and with His authority. And where that is happening, people cannot soon afterward, verse 39, speak evil of Jesus. That word soon afterward can also mean quickly or lightly. In other words, they, they have to deal with the heaviness of Jesus. They, do, they have to do, deal with the weightiness of the presence of God in their lives made manifest through the work in the name of Jesus. If Jesus is being exalted, and the Jesus who is being exalted is the Jesus of the Bible, Jesus says, don't stop it. Join it. Celebrate it. Encourage it. How do you know if somebody's working in the name of Jesus? How do you know? When you walk away, you walk away thinking about how great and beautiful and awesome and splendid and magnificent and wonderful that who is? That Jesus is. I, I miss the target sometimes when I preach, but one of my goals, and I've even shared with the staff one of the things that I want you to hold me accountable for is when you finish a message, when, you get, when it's all said and done, if you missed all the points, I want you to at least think, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is wonderful. He is magnificent. And apart from Him, I have no hope of anything, and I really don't have a reason to breathe. When we are truly compelled by the fame of Jesus being made known in all the earth, we will embrace new people and new approaches where God is at work. When we are more impressed with us than with Christ, however, we are led to shut down the work of God rather than to join it. Let me just say, church, I know we've got first service, second service, but God seems to be raising up in our church a new generation with a spirit-given desire to cherish and live out God's Word in our young professionals class. They want to worship Christ passionately and intimately. I've had the privilege of spending some time with these individuals. They really want to impact the Roanoke Valley with the gospel of Christ. They're inviting people every week. They had 20 people up in the Young Pros class last week. A lot of them lost. A lot of them don't know Jesus. They've just been invited. Hey, why don't you come to church, hang out with me? I know it's weird and this Christian stuff, but 
we like you and we'd like to spend more time together. And guess what? If, if 20 and 30-somethings can do that, I've got to believe that baby boomers can do it too. If, if 20-year-olds can work with somebody in the cube next to them and say, hey, I know it's freaky and you think Jesus is a bunch of bunk, but why don't you come find out more about him with me? If nothing else, you get a free cup of coffee and a donut. God's up to something in the Roanoke Valley. Just sort of this who cares mentality as long as Jesus is exalted. And Jesus works through that. So if nothing else, if our first service would pray for those in our second service and those who are beginning to see God bring a harvest of righteousness, then I, I, I ask that you would pray for them. And I, I know, church, that change can be difficult. I, I know that God, working through new people with different backgrounds and new approaches that we haven't considered before and incorporated can be challenging, but I know that we're capable of it. And I want to tell you why I know that we're capable of it. Because we do it all the time on much lesser matters. Right? I, I like politics. And I've tried this sermon illustration a few times out before getting in the pulpit today, and it didn't work very well, but I'm going to try it one more time and hope that it lands better than it did in my practice. And if not, you say, Dan, second service, you just cut that, okay? But, but I love politics. But somewhere along the way, I gave up watching political shows on TV. I just couldn't handle it anymore. Because whatever cha channel you're watching, pick your, pick your poison. You know what they're going to say, you know what they're going to think, and, and they're never going to interview anybody that disagrees with them. And if they do, they're going to shut, it, shut down the link. I mean, it's, you're not actually using your brain anymore. All you're doing is reinforcing exactly what you already thought. You don't have any opportunity to learn about the other side or have a reasoned debate. It's not the news anymore. It's just a bunch of running commentary, and you can't get facts. Along for the day when people could just give me some facts, just the facts. They don't have that anymore. You can't find that. But I was, I was watching after a national tragedy recently. I, there was a television on wherever I happened to be. And, and a, they broke in and they interviewed someone from the side of the tragedy. And this was a channel from a decided opinion that's different from mine. And I was expecting the person being interviewed to give the answer that the station was wanting. Because they were wearing a certain set of clothes and, and they looked the part of a person who would have an opinion that was different from mine. So I was like, here we go. And guess what? This gentleman opened his mouth and he began to say the very same things that I would have said. I mean, he agreed identically with me. And in a moment, my opinion of this man changed. In a moment, I was like, that is a brilliant guy. And I couldn't even have said it that way. And I could be on the team with this guy. And before, because I had assessed him, before I ever heard a word that he said... I thought, well, this guy and, and me, we're on different sides of the political aisle. We have different visions for our country and what is good and how it can work. Now, let me tell you something, church. If we can do that in politics, that one day is going to die. It's going to be burned up and Jesus alone will be our living Lord and King. And there's only going to be one political system and it's Jesus. If we can do that in politics and get excited about somebody who agrees with us, with us on the right or the left or the middle or some weird hybrid of the three, if we can do that politically, then surely we can do that with people who are genuinely working and motivated by the praise of the name of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we've got to let a passion for the name of Christ unite us. The basis of our unity, the unity that God wants for us, is not our college sports allegiance. It's not the familiarity of our building. It's not that we all mostly live within 
15 to 40 minutes from here or that we really enjoy hanging out, the basis of our unity is a passion for the name of Christ. That common passion can bring together people who have nothing else in common. I mean, we even have West Virginia fans in this church. In verse 40, Jesus gives the second reason why the disciples must stop stopping the man who is casting out demons. Do do you see, Jesus is giving us three reasons, all beginning with the word for. Verse 39 begins with for. Verse 40 begins with for. Verse 41 begins with for. And the answer is pretty simple. For he who is not against us is for us. Sure, They might be different or even unexpected or they might even be doing the work that we had thought God had for us to do in our own hometown. But when a passion for the name of Jesus is what motivates others, they are for us. They are on our side as long as we ourselves are on Jesus' side. Whoever is working in the name of Jesus for the sake of Jesus and the spread of the gospel will be both firm and flexible. On the one hand, nothing will move her away from a passionate pursuit of Christ in accordance with God's Word. But on the other hand, He will be flexible, open to new people and approaches and adjustments to serve an ever-widening circle of people in the great and beautiful and all-powerful name of Jesus. Did you know Chick-fil-A every seven years does an entire interior redesign of their restaurant? Every seven years. And every 30 years, they knock the building down and start over. Now you say, why would Chick-fil-A do that? Why do they build that in to what they do? Why do they build that into the price of a chicken sandwich? Because they want to be doing business as well 30 years from now as they are today. And there's improvements, there's technological changes, there's investments, there's stuff that happens over the course of 30 years that we don't know what it's going to look like yet. But they have programmed into who they are to be flexible and open to what God is going to be doing, or what culture, if you will, for the sake of business, is going to be doing in the future. Now churches, unfortunately, it's taken us a while to think like that. It's taken us a while to think about, well, how long will the pews last? How long will mauve carpet be in vogue? How how long is our parking lot going to last in its current condition? And you say, what does that have to do with your message? It has everything to do with the message. Jesus is telling the the disciples, I'm going to raise up new people in places that you didn't expect, and you don't sit there and rebuke it. You be ready for it. For all the parents who are here this morning that remember the newborn phase. You remember the newborn phase? Or grandparents. You know, the before you learned which cry meant what phase. Before you knew the I'm hungry versus I'm tired versus I'm dirty versus I'm a baby and I don't have a clue why I'm crying cry. You remember that terrifying and maddening phase of life, right? I sure do. It wasn't that long ago. So there you are with your newborn daughter and you've done everything. You've tried the bottle and the passy and you've warmed the bottle and you've checked and changed the diaper and your baby's already had a nap and you do not know what's going on. And then your mother-in-law walks in and she says, let me have that baby. She sits right down and the baby is perfectly silent. Now in that moment, no matter what your relationship with your mother-in-law may or may not have been like up until that point, suddenly she is your best friend. Why is that? 
Because you are both united in a shared passion for peace and quiet. Yes and amen. How much more should a passion for the name of Christ unite us and lead us to deny ourselves and shed ourselves of that stuff that is less than Christ or not is, a, is not essential to the progress of the gospel so that we could celebrate new ideas and new laborers and new approaches in the kingdom of God so that the name of Jesus is exalted in our lives, in our church, and in all the earth. It's important to keep some biblical context in mind as we think about this verse. When Jesus says the one who's not against us is for us, He does not mean that anyone who lets a Christian be a Christian without persecuting them is automatically saved. Rather, we know that that's not true because Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 and Luke eleven twenty three, the one who is not with me is against me. In other words, people cannot know God unless they are united with Jesus through faith. So in this passage, Jesus is speaking of people who are doing work in His name. And if people are genuinely doing God's work in Jesus' name, they're on our team, and we're on their team, and the team can adapt and change and remain united and even be strengthened in the mission. As long as it is a passion for the name of Jesus that overrides all other passions that threaten to divide us. Finally, if we're going to be great in the kingdom of God, if we're going to walk the road of discipleship with Jesus on the way to the cross, we must believe that God rewards acts of service motivated by our new identity in Christ. Jesus continues showing us that walking the path of greatness means walking with Him on the way of the cross. The reward of the cross and a life that reflects the cross is often delayed, right? The reward ultimately is in eternity. But the reward will never disappoint. Following Jesus means setting aside being first. It means setting aside being the center of attention. It means setting aside having our way because there's someone so much greater who is my motivation and my passion. A.T. Pearson once said, For Christians to be effective in making disciples, we must have four passions. We must have a passion for truth. We must have a passion for Christ. We must have a passion for souls. And we must have a passion. Here's the one we don't like very much. We must have a passion for self-sacrifice. The question for us, church, is how do we keep putting ourselves last in service to others so that the saving name of Jesus may be made known among all the nations through us? We've got to believe the promise of verse 41. What did Jesus say? Whoever gives you a cup of water... Because of your name. Now, I said as followers of Christ, but the Greek here indicates that it's your name in Christ. In other words, your name is, is kind of stamped over or almost erased by the name of Jesus. You're so united with Christ that when people see Christ on your life and serve you from that, there's great reward. The road to greatness in the kingdom is open to anyone. Jesus says, whoever... It's open to anyone who will serve Christ in whatever ways he can, no matter how small or simple. Some of you this morning might be saying, I don't have much to give. When I pray, I don't sound like a deacon. I don't have any skills. I don't even know how to bake cookies that come pre-made in a tube. I've got some good news for you this morning. Jesus says, whoever even gives a cup of water, 
in the name of Jesus. He will see it. And He promises a reward. As Edwards writes, even the humblest acts of kindness, refusing to gossip, refusing to hear it or to speak it or to spread it, refusing to slander, refusing to backbite or grumble or complain, welcoming a new believer, celebrating God's work, that He's doing in other people's lives. None of that goes unrewarded by God. What is done to a follower of Jesus is received by Christ as done to Himself. And you know what, church? Some of us have a hard time letting other people serve us. Or even sharing that we have a need. Don't rob other people of the opportunity to have an eternal reward by letting them know of an opportunity to serve you in Jesus' name. I'm kind of like that. I remember when I was at a basketball practice years ago, I was a little rug rat, and uh, less than 10, and there was a, there's a coach in the, in the valley, and this is back before cell phones. You, you remember there was that time before cell phones? And so my sister had a practice, and I had a practice, and my dad was supposed to pick me up, but he was a pastor in the area, and an emergency came up, and somehow he wasn't able to communicate with my mom, and so I'm sitting there, and practice is over. Practice started at 7. I didn't have a chance to get dinner before practice. It's over at 8, and I'm sitting there, and my coach is with me and his son who's on the team, and we're standing around, standing around, standing around. I'm feeling kind of awkward, kind of embarrassed. Finally, the coach is like, well, we're hungry. We haven't had dinner. We're going to go to Burger King. We go to Burger King. He's like, are you hungry? I was starving, but I was like, no, I'm not hungry. Why? Pride. Seven, eight years old. I'd already learned somehow. It's, it's my parents' responsibility to feed me. Or I, I don't need a gift from anybody else. I, I don't ever need to be in a position of receivership because, because I'm stoic and I'm independent. Seven-year-old boy. Or, I don't know, maybe ten. My dad walks in and he's like, son, you haven't had dinner. Are you hungry? My dad, I'm starving. And my coach looks at me like, I wanted to buy you a burger. Don't rob people of the opportunity to serve you for your name and identity in Jesus because God Himself will be their portion. God Himself will be their reward. Jesus sees our sacrificial service for the sake of His name and He promises a reward that we can never lose. As 2008 proved to many of us, you can lose more than half of your retirement in a few days. But you can never lose the reward of paying the price to serve the living Lord Jesus Christ. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? To obtain an inheritance which is what? Imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. If you want to have a reservation that will never disappoint, make a reservation in heaven with the living Lord Jesus Christ. The one who serves Christ will be rewarded by Christ. And we serve Jesus by serving others who belong to Him. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. You want to travel the road to greatness, North Roanoke Baptist Church? We are on the road to greatness when we are compelled by the glory of Christ 
when we are unified by a passion for the name and the fame and the glory of Christ, and we are, when we are committed to serving one another for the sake of Christ with every confidence that Jesus is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. North Roanoke, when our lives are all about Jesus, we are on the road to greatness, and great things are in store. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we ask that we would respond to the Word of God this morning in a way that is consistent with what Your Holy Spirit has spoken into our lives. We ask God that we would look not for the temporary rewards of this world, but that we would look to eternity for the reward of knowing Jesus Christ. God, we thank You that You see our acts of service. We thank You that You've given us something greater than ourselves to live for, and that is the living Lord Jesus Christ. God, I don't know how You would have us to respond this morning, but You do. And so whatever it is that You've spoken into the lives of those who have been able to hear Your Word this morning, I pray now that You would prompt them to respond accordingly. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we close, we're going to sing a hymn. And you are welcome to come and do business with the living Lord Jesus Christ here at the front or right where you sit as we sing the solid rock.